Hey, Adam. Hey, Jeremy. What's up? Not much. I'm wondering, uh, can I come over? Yeah, I, I guess so. Can I come from Madison to Buffalo to record a podcast? Sure, why not? How about we do Giant Size X-Men number one at your house instead of my house? Hey, that sounds awesome. You know what else we could do? Go surfing? Well, no, you live in Buffalo. I don't. I think that's landlocked and it's probably cold about now. Ah, but we have snow surfing. Oh, no, I don't want to go snow surfing. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I'm far too old and much too lazy to do that. <laughs> How about instead of that, we we talk about what it is we like about the X-Men. We just have a general free-for-all discussion about the X-Men. We could talk about movies. We could talk about comic books. Did you know that there's actually novelizations of the X-Men? And I've written, I've read three chapters of one book. Was it by Peter David? I think it was, actually. <laughs> yeah, I guessed. <laughs> actually, it started off pretty interesting, but I never finished it. But uh, that's not my point. My point is is that we could talk about all things X-Men, including uh, what our first issue was, what our last issue was, what our favorite story arc was, or even what our favorite cross-continuity X-Men tale was. Sure, that sounds awesome. You know what else would make it even better? Coffee. <laughs> coffee would help but i'm thinking maybe we get some of our listeners to email us at or a danger room at redcapproductions.com or or even call us at our uh, phone number and tell us what their first and favorite issue of the x-men was in their own words and we could get them included in the podcast what do you think about that i think that sounds amazing yeah yeah part of the great thing about having fans is the communication with them I love it. Exactly. They could call us at 501-438-9636. Again, that's 501-GET-X-MEN. And they could say, hey, Jeremy and Adam, my name is so-and-so, and my very first issue was whatever, and I liked it because of this reason. And that would be fun. Get your submissions into us by, I would say, March 9th. Adam and I will be talking about X-Men, and we'll just randomly insert various bits of you talking to us about what your favorite issue was, story arc was, maybe even why you even got into X-Men in the first place. Was it a dare? Did you just see it on the rack? Were you just sick of Casper the Ghost? You tell us. Please do. All right. We're all ears. That's my mutant power. I'm a giant ear! <laughs> all I can do is hear. It is so frustrating. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, we'll, we'll give you your regularly scheduled podcast. Thank you. gentlemen to the danger room the x-men comics commentary podcast my name's adam and my name is jeremy and we're here to discuss oh so many things we're discussing x-men and uh we can jump right into uh incredible hulk number 180 yes sir hulk number 180 this would be the uh october 1974 issue and it is titled 
and the wind howls windigo or windigo. So as you can tell, uh, obviously the issue features Wendigo, the Hulk, and perhaps a surprise guest. We all know who the surprise guest is. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to read the whole issue, so we're kind of going to skip around. Essentially, all you need to know is Hulk is in Canada. Again. He's back. Or uh, Well, there's reference here from Hulk 161 and 162, and I think... One of those issues is where we left uh, the Beast and Mimic a while back. Yes, 161 is in fact the Beast and Mimic issue. Okay. So, yeah, Hulk likes to hop around between Arizona and Canada, apparently. Uh, But all you really need to know is that at a base, the Royal Canadian Air Force tracking installation, Recarft... (laughs) uh there is a man and i'm not sure what his name is uh maybe we're not told yet or maybe it just doesn't matter but he uh knows that the hulk is in canada and there's only one thing left to do and that is to mobilize weapon x or is it weapon 10 could be Hmm. weapon 10 maybe the first nine failed (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then Hulk just battles some warthogs or some wolves or something. I don't know. Hulk dogs, like in the first movie. These are Hulk dogs? No. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't remember the first Hulk movie. All I remember is that I think at some point he ends up fighting a lake, doesn't he? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. But I can see why you might think that. Well, he ends up at the lake and the lake's like talking to him or something and he's like trying to... Yeah, it's got a weird end. I don't know. The uh, important plot points are that the Hulk is being drawn towards this girlfriend, boyfriend. Well, they're not girlfriend, boyfriend, but he has a secret crush on her. Marie and George, and they are attempting to draw the Hulk towards them so that they can put the spirit of the Wendigo, who is the brother of Marie, into the Hulk Mm -hmm. and therefore free her brother, her brother Paul. Does one of them have some telepathy or something? Because they keep, like, there's random panels of somebody calling out to the Hulk. They're using, like, voodoo magic. Oh, okay. So Marie's a witch doctor. Yeah, well, she's got, like, a horn head, and she's got, there's a, she's got, like, a mortar and pestle where she's putting together some herbs and stuff. Right, she's, she's speaking into a fire, a boiling kettle of some sort with some sort of liquid. Come, Hulk, come. Now, is this woman, is she anybody? Uh, apparently, she's in Hulk. She's been in Hulk um, for prior Wendigo appearances. Okay, so she's just related to Wendigo, and that's about all there is. Yeah, apparently she's a friend of, like, the Hulk considers her a friend. Okay, that's right, 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 right. Uh, eventually, the Hulk is lured to the uh, couple here in the cave, and uh, they have some grub. I don't think I've ever seen Hulk eat food, but I guess Hulk does get hungry from time to time. Food is good, animal girl. Thank you. <laughs> oh, broth smell good, but Hulk isn't hungry anymore. Hulk only feel sleepy, so sleepy. And then Hulk... Falls unconscious. This begs a lot of questions. I mean, uh, aside from the obvious, like how big is his junk? What does the Hulk? T- <laughs> <laughs> what does the Hulk eat? I mean, is he? I mean, he doesn't go to a restaurant and eat. I mean, is he? Does he a hunt? Does he hunt or like steal or what does he do? 
I don't know. I, I'm not too familiar with that. I mean, I'm sure Bruce Banner eats. Whenever we see Bruce Banner, he's usually at a diner, like, scarfing stuff up. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't read that many Hulk comic books. As a matter of fact, I would say that through this run of the X-Men that we're doing here, these are the most Hulk issues I've ever read in the series. And you only see Bruce Banner for, like, four or five panels. When I got into the Hulk, it was, like, towards the 300s, so... okay. It was a completely different... There was a lot more Bruce Banner when I was reading it. Oh, okay. At the height of the Peter David run. Then that also begs the question, like, what does he... I mean, if you eat, you know, you gotta you gotta go, and don't you think they could trace Hulk by his droppings? I mean, because those must be <laughs> not your average dropping, if you know what I mean. Hulks don't poop. <laughs> Hulk has to poop. <laughs> maybe that's what he eats oh adam you just took it to a wrong place too far too far i just answered all your questions thanks (laughs) so while hulk sleeps uh, marie casting some mystic spells or something uh, and windigo starts to stir and head towards them and he shows up but then hulk also wakes up and sees them uh, Marie and George kind of talking to Windigo and immediately starts to attack Windigo. And they have a they have a big old fisticuffs. They call it the Battle of the Century. Yeah. It's kind of a lame drawing on page 15, a full page spread of Wendigo punching <laughs> Hulk across the face. And Wham. somehow they're comparing this to Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, but whatever. Did we mention who the creative team was behind this comic? I don't think we did. We did not. It's Len Wein writing. I looked up the pronunciation of his name. That's how you pronounce it. And Herb Trimpey penciling. And interesting, in the uh, in the beginning there, they call him Dr. Robert Bruce Banner. Isn't that from the television show? No, in the TV show, he was Dr. David Banner. Oh, David Banner. That's yeah. right. Okay. And I think in the comics, isn't he technically Bruce David Banner? I don't know. They They call him Robert Bruce Banner. Hmm. I always wondered why they changed his name. I, I just wonder if, like, in the, what was it, late 70s, early 80s, maybe Bruce was too gay of a name for them to use for the main character. I think that's actually what it was. He was just, that's just not the right name that they could use? Yeah, I think they actually thought it was too gay. That's <laughs> funny. Hulk not gay. Hulk smash. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Hulk is doing his best to smash the Wendigo. I think Marie and her boyfriend or friend or whatever are kind of like, no. Like, this wasn't supposed to be how it was supposed to happen. Apparently, all Windigo can say is Windigo. So, he's like a Pokemon in that sense. Wendigo. That's how I imagine him saying it. He's this big, <laughs> muscly guy. Wendigo. Wendigo. And there's a, a punch, and another punch, and another punch. And they they go head-to-head. Yeah. Literally. Like a pair of enraged rhinos, the two Goliaths thunder across the clearing to collide head-on. And we do mean head-on. Poom. And at last, but not least, after a few more glancing blows, somebody says, All right, you freaks, just hold it. No, that's not how he says it. He says, If you really want to tangle someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? If you really want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? And they're like, oh, I'm sick of you already. (laughs) 
Okay, so the caption there says, well, now you know what or who Weapon X is, Faithful One. He's a living, raging powerhouse who's bound to knock you back on your emerald posterior. I assume he's speaking uh, metaphorically about the Hulk. Yes. Okay. I don't have an emerald posterior, do you? (laughs) Surprised they didn't go with old Jade Jaws. (laughs) Better be here next time, Marvelite, since the Wolverine strikes but once. But in his case, once is plenty. So we move on to Hulk number 181. And on the cover, this is probably one of the most, eh, a very classic image of uh, Wolverine using his claws uh, to lash out at the Hulk. He's here, the world's first and greatest Canadian superhero. Mm-hmm. This will begin the long-running Hulk-Wolverine rivalry. This issue's called, and now... The Wolverine. Len Wein and Herb Trimpey are back to offer up this tale. I gotta be honest, um, Wolverine's claws are looking pretty wide there. Interesting enough, Len Wein or, uh, uh, intended for them to be gloves. Yeah, yes. And uh, yeah, and that'll be addressed actually in the Uncanny X-Men uh, a little bit. But it doesn't say that anywhere in this issue, does it? No, there. there's not even... Nary a snicket. That's because in this entire issue, his claws neither retract or extract. They're always out. Yes. Which is why one could say, oh, it must be his uh, his gloves. I also read a book. You did not. I did. I read a book. It is The Completely Unauthorized, The Unauthorized X-Men. And it says it's by Len Wein, but it's actually just, it's got like a chapter that's written by Len Wein. The rest of it's just, um, I think Joe Casey is in here, and then Christopher Allen and a bunch of other people that I don't really know who they are, all writing essays about the X-Men. But in the intro that Len Wein writes, because he's talking about how he created the Wolverine and... He was the the writer of the very first uncan or you know giant sized X Men number one story and all that sort of stuff. It I mean it seems like he he likes to take a lot of credit for everything that happened uh, at that point. But in there he states that when he created uh, Wolverine, he was going to create him. Uh, he decided he might as well create him as a mutant, on the off chance that someone could use him somewhere else. Yes, that's what I read as well in the Wolverine Omnibus. But I find that interesting because nowhere, I don't think anywhere in here do they even refer to what, A, refer to him as a mutant, and B, refer to what his power is. They actually do refer to him in, as a mutant in this very issue. However, oh, do they? they do okay. not refer to his power. You were right on that. Okay. Apparently what they oh, what Lin Wein intended was that his power was that, like like in the same way that Spider-Man has the enhanced sense of a spider, Wolverine would have the enhanced superhuman senses of a Wolverine. Uh-oh. So he's scrawny and scrappy and super violent and... Prone to, like, raging fits or uh, berserker moments. Yes, that's part of the reason they made him Canadian, because they there was a whole nationalistic Canadian pride thing that they were trying to go for. Everybody knew at the time about this international team of superheroes that Marvel was going to be working on pretty soon, although Lin Wein didn't realize he was going to write it yet, but we'll we'll talk about that next issue. Sure. Next episode. Okay. So if you freaks want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against me, Wolverine says again. Yes, he does. 
His costume is pretty much exactly what it is uh, in the first few issues. I think there's going to be a few modifications, like the little swoops from his eyes or whatever you want to call those. In this costume are a lot smaller than you would normally expect them to be. And the whiskers. And there's there's whiskers that come out of his nose and then kind of down by where his mutton chops would be. That Those go away eventually. Interestingly enough, again, Len Wein intended for him to be 19 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. I mean, there's, you don't have any sense of age or anything because he's never out of his costume. So Right. It's kind of a neat thing, like... It was great for him to have all these intentions, but it's also kind of a great thing that he didn't like spill the whole basket right away and be like, here he is, and this is everything that he can do. Isn't he wonderful? And mm-hmm. then everybody would be like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Much better to have it like, here's a mysterious guy that's got claws. Isn't that neat? Yes, it is. And now look at everything we can do with him. <laughs> and it'll go on for decades. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going on today. Wolverine jumps in, and, uh, I mean, they just fight, pretty much. He jumps on Hulk's back, jumps over Hulk's back. It's just a lot of fighting, really. Little man jumps around like a big rabbit. Like a Wolverine, if you don't mind, Hulk. Like a Wolverine, I've got claws. Fortune of diamond heart, adamantium, and the power to back them up. And since they don't seem to affect you, I'm going to attack Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> Is adamantium a thing at this point in the Marvel Universe? I believe Captain America's shield is established at this point as adamantium, but I could be totally wrong no, about that. No, I think you're right. I think you are definitely right. Okay. So he uh, he can't uh, pierce the Hulk, and uh, so he goes after Wendigo. Looks like he kicks him over a cliff, but then in the next panel, Wendigo's back on the same level as Wolverine, so I guess it's not a cliff. But he kicks him over or something. And Wolverine goes after him. And uh, Hulk gets confused and decides that, well, since Wolverine, this Wolverine character, is attacking my enemy, he must be my friend. Oh, he calls him Little Man, not yeah. Wolverine. The enemy of my enemy must be my friend. So that's what Hulk uses as reason. And he's going to go after the Wendigo and help his new little friend. He does. And the two of them take on Wendigo. Hulk throws Windigo into a tree and Wolverine jumps up on him and it looks like he claws him in the face or the chest or something and Windigo's down and unconscious. Oh, and, and Hulk thinks he's dead. One would think so. I mean, Wolverine does spring up, jump on top of Wendigo. His arms are looking like they're going in a motion where he's about to just either pierce him in his throat or his face or his chest or something. But we don't actually see his hands or his claws rendered in such a way. And in the next frame, we see all of his torso, and there's no blood, unless Wendigo bleeds white, and I don't think that's the case. Well, Wolverine explains, apparently the Wendigo is as mortal as they as the legends say, say. My talons only rendered him unconscious. So maybe he stopped, like, the, the he didn't bleed, but it healed up right away. Mm-hmm. Okay. We get this uh, nice panel of Wolverine and Hulk, kind of, now that they've, now that they're done, they, they kind of... Don't really know what to do. Well, Hulk kind of Hulk kind of looks like he's satisfied. Like, good job, little man. I go on my <laughs> yeah. way. But then, but then Wolverine's kind of like, you know, I came here for you, right, pal? <laughs> All right, green screen. It's your turn to dig a thrashing. And Hulk says, "Huh, puny little man. Hulk thought you were Hulk's friend. Hulk trusted you." 
Little man made a fool of Hulk, and for that, Hulk will smash! And so they start to fight again, and uh, when we cut to Marie and George, they're still in this story. Oh, really? They go and rescue Windigo, pull him back to their cave, and put him on some sort of uh, pedestal, and they're going to... Marie's going to go ahead and try to put the Windigo... Uh, spirit i guess into the hulk while they're fighting and then we cut to a canadian military complex where they say any word from weapon x yet matthews <laughs> matthews he's an important character the government has spent a great deal of time effort and money developing that mutant's natural born speed strength and savagery into the skills of a professional warrior and despite the few kinks still remaining in his psychological makeup i think we've done a pretty good job yeah, and in that that those two little word balloons, you've pretty much opened up the the can of worms that is the Wolverine. So that's kind of neat. That uh, Len Wein probably just established that as a throwaway line, just to make him seem like he had some depth. But it worked, I guess. Yeah, it seems like he has a good idea that he's some sort of super secret Canadian project. Yeah. So apparently the deal here is that the Wolverine had asked for six hours to bring in the Hulk single-handed. So. And maybe we're to assume that this is Weapon X's first mission, and this is like the mission in which he's going to prove himself. Yeah, could be. Yeah, maybe. I'm sure that'll get retconned, but quite possibly. Well, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, right? This could be like his first mission after like. Well, actually, I don't. How does that work? Uh, never mind. I'm going through all like the Barry Windsor Smith stuff. I'm like, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously that stuff hadn't been yeah. established. Huh. So. All right, now I'm lost. Does he have adamantium bones yet? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he doesn't? Well, I mean, he does, but he he wasn't intended to yet. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like I said, those those gloves are adamantium, but they're not part of his body yet. Right. And he doesn't even have a healing factor at this point. Well, is he? Well, I mean, nobody said that he doesn't have one, and he doesn't. Well, right, nobody need said that his bones weren't adamantium either. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it, that stuff all kind of works. And 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 while the intention was that the gloves were supposed to have the claws, you know, he hasn't actually said that, and uh, right. he hasn't yeah. actually taken the gloves off. So, you know, anything's possible at this point. So, I I agree with you one hundred percent. All right, good. Moving on. So if Hulk, or if uh, the Wolverine fails, then they're going to send out this gigantic helicopter with soldiers, I think, to take down the Hulk. Because that'll work. Yeah, that always works. <laughs> so we flip back to somewhere in Canada where they are still fighting. Hulk picks up a rock, but Wolverine bum rushes Hulk, causing him to drop the rock on his own head. Marie starts continues casting her spell been going on for a while she starts pouring some sort of liquid into some sort of other liquid causing some sort of gas and that's when the hulk and wolverine are both knocked unconscious why are they knocked unconscious is it just this gas oh a gas carried down the rise to the battlefield below the brisk morning breeze so the wind carried it over there and knocked them out yes an all-pervading mist the government should hire this marie girl Seriously. Whenever the Hulk wakes up, just hit him with some of that mist of yours. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really true. They should, <laughs> why haven't they developed this mist? No kidding. 
So they run out there, and uh, this didn't happen before when Hulk went to sleep, but this time when Hulk is asleep, he turns into Bruce Banner. Well, this is a really deep sleep. I don't know. <laughs> okay. And uh, so Marie, or um, it's the guy who's like, well, you can't, I'm with you with the Hulk, but you can't do this to Bruce Banner. And Marie's all like, it doesn't matter. Plan's still on. Let's do this thing. He's been kind of harping about it, even with the monster. He was like, all right, you sure you want to do this? This doesn't seem right. Even though he's a monster, nobody really deserves this, but all right. And then now that it's Bruce Banner and you're right, he's he's like, all right, enough. This this is This is too much. And then he runs away. And something about a debt that he had, he's paid. Uh, I guess he feels responsible for Oh yeah, yeah. Paul turning into the Windigo. Yeah. Okay, I'd actually do recall that in here. So uh he's all distraught and he decides to go sit on the side of a cliff and uh when that doesn't ease his pain, he then goes inside of a cave. For some reason we needed two gigantic panels to show us that. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Marie finishes tying up Wolverine with some sort of chains. She starts to pick up Bruce Banner, but then he turns back into the Hulk. She notices that he's getting heavier and heavier, and oh, oh, oh my God! I, honestly, that would be pretty scary if, like, the Hulk just emerges in front of you. Yeah, totally. Uh, Hulk is none too happy about this. He, he's he he knows that the girl tricked her once, tricked him once. Uh, thought they were friends, but Animal Girl is just another puny human. Oh, poor Hulk. And she tries to convince him again that she's uh, his friend, but Hulk Hulk's not buying it this time. This time Hulk will smash. Hulk says, fool me once, uh, uh where am I again? <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine is noticed by the Hulk. You are the one who Hulk truly hates. And Wolverine says, well, give me a couple seconds and I'll burst out of these chains. And Hulk picks up Wolverine and is about to toss him. But with bone-shattering force, the Emerald Man brute smashes the Wolverine to earth, a move that serves only to sunder the pint-sized Fury's already weakened bonds and send him hurtling into action once more. So I guess I thought upon initially reading this that Wolverine burst out of the chains, but... It's actually the ground weakens the chains, allowing Wolverine to burst out. So he's not that strong. I'd like you to draw your, your attention to the the third panel on page 32, where it looks like Hulk's left hand has fully encompassed uh, Wolverine's left buttock. <laughs> <laughs> he's not just holding him up there, but he's like his the palm of his hand is literally in Wolverine's ass crack. <laughs> it just looks like that. I I think it's um it's because of the curvature of the drawn hand and that's actually just the way his hand is, but because of the that curve, yeah, you're you're totally right. Nope, his palm is in Wolverine's <laughs> ass crack. There's no other explanation for this. Meanwhile, Marie heads back to uh, a cave and now Wendigo has come to and he's not happy. Oh, and so she's pretty upset because now that the Wendigo's awake, she doesn't have a chance to transform or to get the spirit of the Wendigo out of Paul, her brother, to Hulk. Correct. So she's all upset. But she screams, and that's when the battle between Hulk and Wolverine are interrupted. Hulk just smacks Wolverine across the head. Yeah, well, yeah Wolverine stops to hear the scream, and Hulk takes advantage of that and just knock, knocks him outside the, upside the head. 
I have read this issue uh, many times. As a matter of fact, when I was a interesting story, when I was a young uh, kid, um, I probably was in fourth or fifth grade. I used to go to this place in Madison called Pick a Book, where it wasn't a comic book store, but they had a huge magazine rack, and on that magazine rack, they had just every comic title at, at the time, like Independence, Marvel, DC, etc. And at the time, they also had a uh, uh, collection of a Hulk 180 and Hulk 181. Um, that apparently had ended up in a bag that somebody had shoplifted. And for some reason, I was given the spoils of this shoplift, but it was all legitimate. Like, somebody tried to steal this, but we caught the shoplifter, so you can have these. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out, but eventually I, I ended up with these comics that were stolen. But anyways, uh, so I had this two, not these original issues, but the the collection of the two issues together and read it a number of times and never actually grasped what happens in these last three panels which is kind of dumb because it spells it right out here but what happened was george went back and he ended up casting the spell on himself and he transferred himself into wendigo in order to sacrifice uh, bruce banner or the hulk it's true yeah so i just feel kind of dumb like i read this last time and i was like oh so that's what george <laughs> did <laughs> how stupid of me and so Paul is transformed back to normal and George is now the Wendigo. And George starts to cry and Yeah, not not only George, but I mean think about like Mimic sacrificed himself for the Hulk. Everybody just sacrificing themselves for the Hulk. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> he's he's the main character. <laughs> George reveals that he did it because he loved Marie and uh and that's really sad. <laughs> Marie's pretty upset about that. Well, and she wasn't very nice to him. Well, no, she didn't. She didn't realize. She, she, in fact, was probably in love with him too, leaving behind a shattered wall and an equally shattered Marie Cartier. George, George, please come back, come back. His name actually isn't George; it's Georges. Well, right, but I think the French pronunciation of Georges is George. No, it's Georges. <laughs> Uh, the the third panel on this page looks like Wendigo's crying milk. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he is just plain white, so who knows. So there you go. I mean, it kind of wraps up a little bit. Hulk uh, sees the new Wendigo running away, and I guess the implication here is that George kind of loses his human consciousness and turns essentially completely into the Wendigo, and like those traces are now gone. Inside, Marie Cartier stands almost motionless, her thoughts whirling aimlessly through raging pools of deep, chaotic black. Too much has happened to, too quickly for her poor mind to comprehend. Thus, in self-defense, she has retreated into the shelter of tender madness. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Hulk comes in and comforts her, and uh, that's the end of the issue. Both the victims of circumstances they could not hope to control, and both of them so terribly, terribly alone. It's so sad. It's totally sad. Uh, Len Wein, he, he knew how to uh, spin a yarn, if you will. We'll uh, turn our attention now to Hulk number 182 for the final two panels of Wolverine. October 1974. No, not, is it? Wait, December 1974. Mm -hmm. We're done with 1974 at this point. And uh, this one's titled Between Hammer and Anvil. Same uh, creative team. No Wolverine on the cover. In fact, Wolverine's only on the first 
page. <laughs> yep, just two panels. The big helicopter I was talking about a little earlier comes to descend and says, Wolverine, your six hours have elapsed. You failed. Get into the elevator. Oh, he's on three panels. Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because Wolverine's like, no, you can't do this to me. My failure was only a temporary setback. I can still defeat that big brute. I can. I can. And then he, he kind of continues complaining as he gets into this little lift capsule elevator thing. But what about the Hulk? What about the Hulk? I just, I like the fact that he gives up. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, the issue goes on and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it's kind of a entertaining issue. Um, brief summary. Um, Hulk befriends a homeless guy named Crackerjack Jackson. <laughs> Guess what? He's black. <laughs> and, um, you know, it turns out that Crackerjack Jackson <laughs> is going to a prison to say hello to his son, who has recently become a supervillain. And Crackerjack Jackson gets killed. And um, it's very sad. It is a crazy alien. It's a weird looking alien, too. He looks like, uh, do you remember uh, Powdered Toast Man from Ren and Stimpy? No, I don't. He looks kind of like Powdered Toast Man. <laughs> All right. They describe the two uh, villains as Johnny Anvil and Hammer Jackson, a white who hates blacks and a black who hates everything. <laughs> because <laughs> at this time, it was probably not okay to say a black who hates whites. <laughs> oh my God. I guess I didn't really read this issue. I wish I would have. It sounds awesome. It's, 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 it's an interesting story. I mean, it has, it's not great. Crackerjack's awesome. He's got, he's just, he looks like a, just a happy old black man telling stories and laughing loudly, drawing pictures in the sand. He's a walking, talking stereotype. <laughs> Making beans. He teaches the Hulk to spell his name. Sure, like this. See, that's your name. Hulk's <laughs> name? Nice. Hulk wishes Hulk could do that. And he's able to do it after a while. Well, mostly. That's. Uh, I'm going to read this actually later. <laughs> Just just for the Cracker Jack Jackson parts. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Uh, I guess we're going to move on now, though, to our last incontinuity issue between 1969 and 1975. I think this is actually in 1975, but this is giant-sized Fantastic Four number four. This is, in fact, a February 1975 issue titled Madrox the Multiple Man and it is written by Lynn Ween, Chris Claremont, John Basima, Chick Stone, and Jay Sinat, whoever that is. Wow. Those, uh, the last three were the illustrators and the first two were the writers. It's a hell of a creative well, I guess it's a giant size, so there's a ton of pages. Yep. Two things about this. I think the professor's in it and uh we get our first introduction to Jamie Madrox. Yeah, it's essentially a Fantastic Four introduction to J.B. Madrox as somebody who's kind of typically clueless. And you are different like me. I am Madrox. And obviously, J.B. well, not obviously if you don't know J.B. Madrox, but Madrox's power is to, what would you call it, duplicate himself? Multiply. He's the multiple man. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So every time he gets hit or takes some sort of damage or 
or something like that, uh, he pops out another version of himself, and they show an example when he was born in 1953, September 7th. Uh, the doctor slaps him on the ass and pops out another one. Which, you know, if if he's truly a mutant, we we, we generally learn that mutants don't manifest their powers until a time of stress or sometime in their teens, right around puberty. So this kind of breaks that meme a little bit. I mean, we've already seen Beast as a baby mutant, so... I suppose. They really just haven't... They haven't determined that yet. The father, Dr. Daniel Madrux, worked at the Los Alamos Nuclear Research Center. Uh, So we have another reference to nuclear or atomic energy being the origin of mutant powers. Yeah. His father develops a suit for him that allows him not to multiply, but he has to wear it all the time. He's not allowed to shower. (laughs) Or go to the bathroom or really anything. Apparently a tornado swept across the farm and killed his entire family. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) I know, this poor guy. And he ran the farm by himself. (laughs) In his little suit. (laughs) He turned on the TV and all hell broke loose. Raw power coruscated upon his body. Pain flayed him alive, and the resulting spasms destroyed every electric appliance in the house. Having no TV left to watch, he goes into town. Looking for a new TV. (laughs) Where he encounters the Fantastic Four. Well, Ben Grimm, really. They fight, but eventually the professor shows up. I guess Medusa is a member of the Fantastic Four at this point. Remember her? Yeah, that makes she's an inhuman. Crystal's an inhuman, so they kind of swap them in and out, it seems like. So Crystal is, like, off with Quicksilver now, and Medusa's taking over. So a helicopter shows up and lowers the professor, uh, but the professor (laughs) falls out of his chair. (laughs) Ben Grimm catches him. I, for some reason, the professor needs to be lowered from the helicopter by a vortex beam. <laughs> and the vortex beam gets canceled. I think it gets canceled by Madrox. I think his power, of the, whatever electrical thing is happening here, has affected the vortex beam. But the professor needs to be lowered by the vortex beam because I don't think there's any X-Men to lower him. I think, he's, I think, uh, I think the team has still been deployed on their secret mission. Yeah. But uh, while he was up at the mansion waiting for results, Cerebro went mad, and so he decided he would uh, come here and and, uh, investigate. Yeah, years ago I knew his father. It was my suggestion that his family move to Kansas. When my special mutant detector Cerebro revealed Jamie Madrax to be in New York, I knew something was terribly wrong. That's why I'm here. For Jamie Madrax is my responsibility. Indeed. I am a friend... Of your parents, Jamie, I want to. And then a duplicate is all like, My parents are dead! (laughs) And then there's suddenly six or seven of them. And then the professor realizes that, of course, the suit is the core of our problem. It's been six years since Jamie's parents died. Six years since the, the suit has last overhauled. Six years he's been walking from Kansas to New York. (laughs) Some of the control elements must have burnt out by now. And Reed Richards, always the smart man, all we got to do is disconnect those control elements and the crisis is over. Let's do it, team. At what point the team is like, what? Uh, okay. The control elements? <laughs> Which one is that? 
I see a lot of like circles and stuff. <laughs> Which one of those six should we do it on? And then we get this awesome four panel like sequence of the professor like zooming in on the professor's face as he psychically tries to connect with Jamie Madrox and it looks like his head gets a little taller in the third panel. I thought that's what was happening because, okay, so all the Madroxes are fighting the Fantastic Four and I thought one of them had like developed some sort of power to like, you know, reorient the professor or something. (laughs) No, he's just, he's trying to reach into all of their brains at the same time. Because in each panel, his head gets slightly more eggish. It's just bad. It's very bad. (laughs) He's able to do it and he knocks all the duplicates out. Yeah. Except for one. Reed Richards struggles a little bit with the real Jamie Madrox. They're still fighting. I don't know why the professor just didn't knock him out too. But uh, Reed Richards is able to uh, fix the suit. And this is when the professor uh, reveals to the Fantastic Four that he's a mutant, sort of. What happens to the duplicates? I don't know. (laughs) They poof off panel. (laughs) Yeah, they just disappear. My question, though, I mean, like, so he can create multiples, and that's very handy. You can do a lot of good stuff with a bunch of duplicates of yourself. But there's got to be, like, in order for that power to be uh, um, believable, there has to be a limitation that goes along with it. Because I can't create a duplicate of my mass and matter. That would be impossible, right? So if I could create something that's like a portion of my matter and then I get, we're all kind of like summarily weaker and every copy I make, all of us become weaker, but there's more of us, that's believable. But that's where you're just like creating all these guys. It just doesn't make sense. I think you're being a little too scientific. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like my superhero stories to be grounded in some reality. I can accept a man who can stretch his body all he wants, but when it comes to a man duplicating himself, that's where I draw the line. Uh, here it is. All the, the the dupes all vanish when Reed fixed the suit. Okay. Well, but where do they go? Where do they come from? Where do they go? I, that, that's a great question. They go into mutant power land. Oh, okay. I will take him with me, Mr. Grimm, and given luck, given time and luck, I believe I can cure him his madness and teach him to cope with his power. Yes, given time, and we will not see Jamie Mandrax again for a very long time, which we have to presume that the professor has him locked in a cage in the basement. <laughs> That's okay. It won't be the first mutant we'll have discovered has been locked away in some cage because he's too powerful. <laughs> I gotta, I got to be honest. I'm not sure when we next see Jamie Madrock, so we'll just have to keep our radar open for that. And that's about it. A little, little bit more information about Wolverine is that um, Dave Cockrum, who we will get to know next episode, drew the first drawing of Wolverine. And at the time, he was the brother of a vampire-like mutant. And uh, he had very much the hair that we will get to know Wolverine having. The beast hair. Yes. The, uh, The story goes that he showed this creation to Roy Thomas, who was already planning a group of international superheroes. And that's what Dave Cockham was drawing stuff for. And apparently Roy Thomas forgot about it and it was he was named the Wolverine and thinks that it's his that he went to Lynn Ween and said, Hey, create a character called the Wolverine. I think that's a cool idea. 
And uh, so Lynn Ween ran with that. All the things that Wolverine was intended to be are, are probably going to change a little bit. Wolverine was my gateway to the X-Men. Okay. I am proudly in the owner of every single issue of Wolverine. The sing- the, 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 I have the, the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont series, Wolverine and Kitty Pride, and every issue since then. So um, my entry into Wolverine is not my entry into the X-Men. But uh, in first grade, I think it was first grade, might have been second grade, I was vaguely into comic books, probably like Archie and and stuff of that ilk, Richie Rich potentially. And I remember I had a friend in uh, the said first or second grade who said, you should read these. And he actually produced uh, four polybagged comic books, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. And I... Uh, he gave me like issue two. He's like, I can't give you one. <laughs> I don't know if it was like, <laughs> this is the one that's going to be worth money. So he gave me, he, and he didn't give it to me. He lent it to me. He's like, take this home and you read it. And so I took it home and like, I didn't get it. Like I'm in second grade. It's midway through a story. You know, it, I didn't, they're in Japan and there's nothing that I could relate to all this clan stuff and samurai stuff. And so that was my first, introduction to wolverine was that issue and i don't know what it was about and i've never actually even read the kitty pride and wolverine series i haven't either really to be honest oh i i thought it was a classic i mean i'm told it's a classic anyways i will read it at some point (laughs) uh perhaps we will mention it on this very podcast potentially um my first wolverine issue was like number six and seven of the 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 full run series and I think I only picked it up because it had Hulk on the cover and it was the gray Hulk. And I was like, Oh, I, I like Hulk. I'll check this out. Okay. And uh, it was Wolverine when he was doing his whole patch thing. Oh yeah. 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 Which he didn't do in X-Men. Was that like a cover for when they were dead or was this before that? I don't know. Wolverine did this thing where he, periodically left the X-Men to go live in Madripoor and as this other character named Patch who had an eye patch. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I guess the story of his, his Madripoor uh, life was kind of established in uh, Marvel Comics Presents, the first 10 issues of that, but I never read that. And, and, I, and I believe the Unlimited series picked up from there. Okay. So, I mean, when I was younger, I, I read, I never really read Wolverine uh, on his own. I only followed him in the pages of the X-Men. And when I started watch, or reading the X-Men, I think it was about issue 216 or 217, it was uh, Dazzler, Psylocke, Longshot, Rogue, Storm was depowered, and I think she was in Africa, so I don't think she was even part of the team at that point, and Wolverine. So, like, that was the team. And so, like, the only, like, in my five fifth grade mentality, the only cool character was Wolverine. So I was like, oh, this is this is kind of, this is fun. See, I didn't even know that Wolverine was a member of the of the X-Men for, I, probably until I met you and you had all these X-Men stuff. And I was like, hey, I know that guy. Really? That's Wolverine. They did, the X-Men never crossed over into Wolverine? I'm sure they did. I'm sure there was, like, cameos of Rogue and whoever in just appearing. But I was like... Uh, it's probably just some friend of Wolverine's. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. 
So then, you know, after that, it wasn't until, like, I was duped by the All Secrets Will Be Released issue that had, like, the file folder on the cover with, like, the die-cut claw marks on the front, <laughs> where I was like, I'm going to start collecting Wolverine, and they didn't answer any questions, and they just kept asking more, and then I think the artwork started suffering, and I was like, I don't want to read this anymore, <laughs> and that I stopped. That was during the uh, Larry Hammer run of Wolverine, which was excellent. I bet you it was, but, I, like, I came in again midway, like, in this issue, there's, like, an kind of reveal everything and you know nothing was revealed honestly the wolverine series is a mixed bag it's, it's sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really not good <laughs> all right well one of these days I, I i mean like there's the original mini series right the four part or six part mini series yep. i've never read that you've never read it oh my god i've never that's, i hear it's like the pinnacle that, that, yeah that's it's it's not i wouldn't say it's the pinnacle but oh, okay it's it's probably like the God Loves Man Kills of Wolverine. Okay. Well, that's that's saying quite a bit. God Loves Man Kills is a great story. It completely exists outside of any sort of continuity, and you don't have to read it, but it's just a good story. Yeah. Is that the same way with the with the Wolverine 4 part? Well, I mean, it obviously exists in the continuity of, of Wolverine, and it and it actually exists in the continuity of Uncanny X-Men. It, it falls right in between like two issues of Uncanny X-Men. Okay. So as we will discover when we get there. Is there anything else you want to add about the Wolverine? It's a movie coming out. <laughs> there is a movie coming out. And maybe we should do the same thing we did with uh, Days of Futures Past uh, with Wolverine. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll see if the trailer, when the trailer comes out, maybe we'll do a, a trailer review or something. And then I'll have to like read uh, something. <laughs> so I'll have uh somewhere to base anything I say on rather than just being like, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be the expert. You can be the winged guy. Okay. So since I did this research, we're going to talk about it and then we're never going to talk it about, talk about it again. Uh, <laughs> oh no. I have a feeling I know what you're going to talk about. <laughs> Today is the day that I finished all 22 issues of X-Men, the hidden years. Oh, I failed. I didn't make it all the way through. And with the remaining, I would say, eight minutes we have, we'll we'll just kind of talk about it a little bit and then move on to some viewer mail and some other fun stuff. <laughs> How much of it did you actually end up reading? I think I read the first nine issues. I got through the Storm story arc, and um, I was like, I hate this. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> No, and that's perfectly fair. The the uh, the to recap, like the first five or six issues, uh, I mean, just they go back to the Savage Land. They go back to find Magneto. They go to his ghost. They, they fight his ghost. What happened? What happened was, uh, Magneto had fallen under some rocks, and he at that point was so weak, uh, he was alive, but he couldn't use his powers. But then he remembered that he has psychic powers, so. He used his psychic powers to create a ghost to convince like a projection. Yeah. To convince like an army of savages or whatever that he was like a God or something. But it turned out that they were like living on top of some radioactive healing thing. And if he brought these people over, then they'd get superpowers or something like that. And that story just went on and on and on and (laughs) on. Um, The interesting thing was it, it takes place like a week or so after issue 66 in which the professor is now healed, but like he's all weird. Like he's telling the X Men to do crazy things, and the X Men are kind of like, "What? What's wrong with the professor? He's been gone a while, and he was sick, and now he's like ordering us to do these weird things." Do they ever resolve why he's weird? No, they absolutely do not. 
<laughs> so what happens is they kind of drop that about issue eight or nine, and they never mention it again. In fact, uh, about issue ten or twelve, they reintroduce the Sentinels. That uh, <laughs> so uh, the professor uh, uh, remarks that Scott was very bright and sending the uh, Sentinels into the sun, except. Uh, there were five sentinels left in that base, and uh, they were able to reconstruct themselves into one sentinel. The sentinel comes, and they meet this mutant girl who has the ability to control uh, electronic equipment. So she's kind of controlling the sentinel, but the sentinel still has these directives to kill mutants. And it's at this point that the professor just becomes a nice guy and starts hanging out with this mutant girl's mother, and then they like develop a little love story. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the X-Men go back out into space because the Fantastic Four show up and they're like, hey, that thing you did to us about the Xenox, you should have asked our permission first. By the way, did you actually think about where the Xenox are going to go? <laughs> and so they went back up to find the Xenox. And meanwhile, apparently the Phoenix Force flew a little too close to their spaceship and Jean Grey was like, oh, well, that feels so weird. And then she had like visions of her killing all of the X-Men. That's right. I did read that one. That that that's I think when I gave up. I was like, "This is yeah." She she gets the Phoenix Force for like thirty seconds, and then she's okay. And then I was just like, "Whatever." The Storm thing was ridiculous. They land on this island and they meet Storm. In one respect, I thought she was, I thought she was in Africa this whole time, like a goddess to her own people, like making rivers and. Uh, well, didn't didn't they somehow come out of the Savage Land into Africa? No, maybe they did. But still, I, I think the story goes that Beast and Lorna Dane and Havoc meet Storm. But still, like, that didn't happen. <laughs> right, right. We, we've established that the professor found her. And we, we well, I don't, anyways. So then after that, um, what happens? The Sentinel thing happens. Um, then they start this story arc with an anti-X-Men group where there's this man who's very similar to the professor but he's evil and apparently they're working with Eunice the Blob and Mastermind but they take care of that it all ends basically with uh, them tying into Fantastic Four 103 and 104 where uh, Submariner and Magneto attack New York and uh, basically John Byrne retcons all of that to say that the professor was there in astral form the whole time, <laughs> talking to Magneto and, like, lecturing Magneto and apparently sent Havoc into New York, but then that's when Havoc gets beaten by a whole bunch of people. It's, uh, oh. The one thing I did like, although I didn't like the way that they did it, was that we actually get to see Bobby and uh, Havoc fight over Lorna. And we, we see the reason that Havoc ends up leaving. We don't, after he though. Almost kills. We do. It, it's it's in one of the early issues. Really? Yeah, there was this like couple page fight scene where. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to. Yeah, you but know. what happens is like Ice, he quits. Iceman quits. And... All right, Iceman quits. And then Alex and Lorna are hanging out by some tree or something. And then Iceman's like. Hey, Lorna, I don't want you hanging out with this guy anymore. And I don't know if that's the battle that's referenced in that Hulk issue then, because through the 22 issues, the whole team gets back together. Iceman gets back together. Havoc and Lorna are there. Nobody leaves to go to Arizona. Well, to be honest, as far as I'm concerned, Hidden Years didn't happen. 
Well, after reading them, I completely agree. It was completely <laughs> unnecessary. So in addition to all of those other kind of revisiting storylines in um, The Hidden Years, uh, they go ahead and decide to bring back Bertram, if you remember him, Warren Worthington Sr.'s brother. Really? The Dazzler. <laughs> but there's many asterisks in there to remind us that this is not actually Allison Blair. It's it's Bertram the Dazzler. And uh, it's this really convoluted storyline in which Candy Southern uh, comes back to the mansion to try to tell Warren that uh, Bertram's going to marry his mother. Because <laughs> Bertram is still, Bert is still after the money, which I think was his motivation in the original story we read. I thought he died. Well, he did. Like, remember, Angel had a choice. He he could either drop Candy or drop Bert, and he dropped Bert. And then supposedly Bert died. But we never saw his dead body, and it was kind of in- intimated, like, oh, uh, today I'm a bigger man or something like that. Like, he's a changed man because he had to choose a life or something like that. Well, anyways, uh, they don't ever explain how he came back. He just, you know, he, he says something like, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, one of those type of lines. Right. Uh, but anyways, Candy Southern comes back to tell uh, Angel all about this, uh, but Angel is missing, and Marvel Girl and Cyclops are, and a couple of others, I don't remember who, are going to go search for him, and so they decide to put Marvel Girl's old uniform on Marvel Girl and Marvel Girl's current uniform on Candy, and then Candy goes along on an adventure with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay which ends up foiling the whole plan because they're like look at marvel girl over there and she's like i'm not marvel girl i'm candy and she punches somebody and like that ends that storyline but anyways uh <laughs> you can see how bad it is so then they go to the worthington household and then they try to have like a confrontation with bert who uh apparently is drugging warren's mother and slowly killing her and the doctor, oh, no. yeah, and the doctor is in on this. Like they have a live-in doctor, who apparently, wow. who apparently of the Worthingtons is the only one who knows that Angel is uh, a mutant. And as we find out later in the story, he uh, hates mutants with a passion. So he is kind of in on this plan to poison Warren Worthington's mother. And he turns into the Dazzler, and they fight. <laughs> How does the doctor know that Warren's a mutant, but the parents don't? Because he delivered Warren, and he was like he was like the staff doctor, and and he, oh, they explain it by saying, uh, "I noticed he had larger than normal shoulder blades." And remember that <laughs> that was the big tell from the origin issue. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, John Byrne. I mean, not to like totally crap on his work. I mean, he 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 did his research. I mean, he was there for most of it, and he ties most everything into what had happened or what had been mentioned. So. You know, <laughs> eh, it is what it oh is. Oh boy! All I remember about uh, Candy Southern was that she, for some reason, the professor kept letting her come back to the mansion, and, and the robots would sometimes attack her, and sometimes they wouldn't. And it seemed like she was developing a weird relationship with the professor. Yes, but yes, which I never finished the series, so I don't know what happened no. to that. No, nothing really happened because, well, the professor left. And the the reason that she kept coming back and forth cause was she was trying to warn uh, Warren about this marriage that was happening. Right. Okay. So, he, yeah, I mean, John Byrne, he put like nine or ten stories, like all in one issue, opening up the, all these different little paths to go. And I found it kind of obnoxious because there was just too much stuff to keep track of. So, anyways. 
Two thumbs down for the hidden years. <laughs> I'm going to give it a half a thumb up, Adam. I really am. Oh. Yeah. All right. The first half was just not great. It was very boring. I'm going to say it was very boring. The second half, I mean, it kind of picked up. And I think maybe it only picked up for me because uh, everything was tying into what we were reading at the time. Hmm. Yeah, so it was a kind of a conscious effort to do that. Okay, okay. Well, since I didn't read the whole thing, I guess my thumb down only counts as half a thumb. So I think we wiped the slate clean with our ratings, and therefore the Hidden Years gets a blank slate. It gets no thumbs. Yeah. I will go, I'll give it a no thumbs. <laughs> Mediocre. Anyways. <laughs> so there you go, folks. That's a, an eight-minute review of X-Men The Hidden Years. Don't waste your time. If you uh, want to do some extra reading on your part, there's there's a bunch of stories that take place. Uh, Fantastic Four World's Greatest Comics Magazine, number three. X-Men Spider-Man, number one. The Emma Frost limited series. Well, I guess it wasn't limited. It was supposed to be going, but it got canceled. Alpha Flight, number nine. Stuff like that. So those all tie into this period between 66 and Giant Size 1? Yeah. I think for our part, we've covered everything that we want to cover uh, in this in-between period. I agree. Yeah, basically, whatever was published during this time frame is the stuff that we're going to go by. So we got a we got a letter from uh, Chris Withers. We uh, got some fan mail. Hey, fellas, I found your podcast a few months ago uh, and had the time to had to take the time to tell you that I enjoy them greatly. He was a collector from his youth, and he has, sounds like every issue of Spider-Man, Hulk, Avengers, FF, you name it, but he was always a big fan of the X-Men. I still have everything from those days. The guy must be rich. No kidding. I went on to become an athlete and live out my dreams as a professional. Wow. And I always give credit to those books for giving me the ability to dream big and be creative and have an imagination believing anything was possible. Wow. I wish, I wish comics touched me in the way they touched you. I'm just doing some podcast. <laughs> All they ever encouraged me to do was talk about them. Yeah. So good on you, Chris Withers. Retired from sports and on to other things. Happened on your show and really dug it. Thank you very much. I listen weekly and have been enjoying the longer pre-sized giant shows. Well, good. I'm glad that somebody is. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm glad to know. I mean, I've been enjoying them too. So Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Avoid doing Toad's, Toad's voice. Also Magneto's voice. It sounds like you're about to choke. Just kidding. Keep it up. Great memories. I don't know when we're going to get another chance to do the Toad's voice. Well, Toad will be back. He wasn't uh, He wasn't in any of the uh, X-Men um, hidden years, so well, it's sad. Like, what happened to the Toad? And on the iTunes page, we got uh, two new reviews. Uh, we've got Bones TB, who says he really digs this show. And I have to say, Bones TB, I really dig you. <laughs> uh, this is actually Tony Borer. He wrote us on Facebook too, asked if we could give a, his uh, podcast. He do, he does a podcast, uh, the Seventy Six Street Podcast. A, a shout out. So there, there you go. I listened to a little bit of it. Um, it's it's very similar to your uh, TFI cast. Actually, they even have a beer episode. Nice. What's the show called? The Seventy Six Street Podcast. So yeah. check it out. Also, we get one from Wolf 5 who says that you and I, Adam, pour our hearts and souls into capturing the tongue-in-cheek original X-Men comics run. 
He says that he's sure that we will continue that through the rest of the X-Men's continuity. Well, all I can say is I hope the material provides for us to continue with our tongue-in-cheek hilarity. Probably will. I, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually a little a little scared of what this next run is going to mean for us. <laughs> Are we just going to be like, oh, Chris Claremont's so smart and clever? Well, for a while. I mean, <laughs> no, we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be plenty to make fun of, and we don't take anything too seriously, including ourselves, but we do take you guys seriously, so thanks for uh, thanks for listening and thanks for writing us and, and all that stuff. And uh, a third iTunes review that we uh, just got in is uh, by our, our Twitter feed moderator. And uh, what, is, what does that one say? Well, he says it's a wonderful podcast. He gave it five very large stars and says that Adam and Jeremy put together a fantastic podcast that takes listeners through the history of the X-Men. He also says that we add colorful insights and hilarious commentary. It's- wow, he's very kind. Mm-hmm. A little too kind, if you ask me. We're not that good, Adam. I know. I know. That's what I meant. <laughs> he looks uh, He looks forward to hearing discussions of classic issues each week, and it's a great uh, way to get caught up with X-Men of the past. And that's from uh, Edward uh, Gibson III, and um, he also uh, let us know that we have a question on the Twitter feed from one Christopher Sanderson, at uh, Boogie underscore 138 and he asks us what do you guys think of magneto or magneto only referencing what has been read from the podcast so far thank you edward first of all for letting us know that there was a question out there because i don't i don't know that we would have been able to figure that one out adam yeah i i I just became aware that you could ask questions over the Twitter feed because of this, so now I'll be checking it out, but I'll probably forget so it's a good thing we have Edward there to moderate to straighten us he must be like so young and hip and like with everything for sure <laughs> all right, so what do we think of Magneto based on what solely on what we have seen thus far? Well, the first thing that comes to mind to me is that once you get to that uh, issue that we just did the one the avengers one mm-hmm. he becomes so powerful that you just can't you can't defeat him oh right because he's controlling the, the iron of yeah. the blood and and uh it's it's interesting in the next issue that we see him the defenders two-parter he has lost that ability <laughs> I, yeah. I guess the vision knocked it out of him <laughs> sure but he also has the ability to uh, create mutants which i guess is an ability he always had but this mutant was much stronger than the mutants that uh he had created in the savage land maybe that's just with the matter he was working on yeah that seems to be his big motivations is to be angry and dominate the world and to make more mutants I think uh, nobody at this point, up until this point of the comics run, is sure how to write him. So Stanley wrote him as just like a, a nemesis, and, and that's it. Like there was really no depth in there, other than Neil Adams trying to give him a little bit of character and de- Neil Adams, I suppose, and R- Roy Thomas giving him some depth in the Savage Land when he was the master or whatever he was um, prior, when he rescued Angel and whatnot. Like, it seemed like he was getting some depth and he wasn't just this cartoony evil person twirling his mustache. But every other writer since that period, especially in these mid-70s issues, 
it just writes him as just a single dimensional character who's just evil for the sake of being evil. <laughs> I would say that about Storenko as well, but as we found out, that Magneto is just a robot, which just adds a whole other cartoony dimension to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, no, uh, he's the one that's given him the, probably the most depth, but it's still not that deep. So yeah, what do I think of him? I, I think he's just a, a cartoonish villain. Yeah, pretty much. I'd, I'd have to agree with him. He's he's definitely not that compelling. I guess the, the, the problem with Magneto versus the Sentinels and Juggernaut is that we have no idea why Magneto is doing what he's doing yet. That's a really good point. Good point. He's just this kind of one-dimensional thug who really just goes about his and, and does his world-conquering thing, and that's it. I can't say it any better than that. There you go. I think that is the answer to the question that is out on the Twitter feed. All right. We also just recently got a uh, Facebook post from Peter Watson, who has uh, talked to us before, but most recently he says that the last three episodes have been the best yet. Really fun and interesting. That's good to know that somebody's enjoying them. I not not that I'm not. I, I love it. I really enjoyed the combination of more stories covered at a faster pace in a single episode. Well done. I suppose that ends the original X-Men adventure, so we can call next episode the start of Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Podcast Season 2. That's way too much to say, so no, it is just the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Um, I would say, though, that uh, if you're looking for more fast-paced, quick episode reviews... Well, those have pretty much come to an end. <laughs> hey, but Secret Wars is coming up. In a while, Secret Wars is coming up. Uh, I, I, yeah, and that will give us uh, an opportunity to do some more rapid-fire reviews. Or, or commentary, however you want to call it. When we have the opportunity to do stuff like this, obviously we'll we'll do it, but mainly we'll stick to our usual format. So thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, thanks for listening. We also got a letter on the Facebook from Holden Atreides who uh, reveals that his, 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 it's not his birth name, Holden Wakefield Atreides. On his 18th birthday, he changed his name legally. He didn't have a name to change it to, but he knew he wanted to. So he grabbed three of the last books that he'd read and chose a, a last name from the last one he'd read, a middle name from the second to last one that he read. So Atreides is from Children of Dune. I'm assuming Holden is from Catcher in the Rye. I have no idea what Wakefield is from. Same here. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question. I feel kind of dumb. He says what three books he read, didn't he? No, he just he mentioned he only mentions Children of Doom. Oh, okay. So I, it might not even be Catcher in the Rye. I'm just taking a guess. That's what I read when I was 18. Uh, you guys, um, you guys make mention of the old X Men arcade game that was based on Pride of the X Men. You guys need a clip from Professor X shouting, "Magneto is in another place." from that game. X-Men, nice job. Magneto is over there. Follow me. The other great sound clip is Magneto shouting, Welcome to die. <laughs> X-Men, welcome to die. And you have uh, you, you downloaded that game for your iPod, right? I have it for my iPad, yeah, yeah. I don't recall those two quotes. But we'll have to dig them up and uh, try to insert them in somewhere. He also mentions that his friends and himself uh, are doing a web comic uh, called the Alaska Initiative at alaskainitiative.com. And I checked it out this afternoon, and it's pretty cool. 
Yeah. I, I, I thought it was really creative and a lot of fun. And I sent it around to people that I knew. And I guess it's, it's based on this, uh, type of photographic comic book art thing that's happening, but I thought it was really well done and you should check it out if you haven't checked it out yet, Jeremy. I just did. I literally just clicked on the link and uh, I saw that there were some word balloons on pictures and it looks, uh, it looks good. Tomorrow I'm actually going to read them. It's good stuff. Check it out. So there you go. A whole bunch of creativity being shared on this podcast. Uh, uh, we're not selfish. Uh, we'll, we'll let everybody know about what you're doing. We ask that you do the same thing, though. We, we still want to challenge ourselves to, to get our Facebook likes up. And if you haven't done that yet, you can go to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Or if you would like to give us a review, and boy, we like the reviews on iTunes. We're up to 29, and I gotta be honest, most podcasts don't get that high, but we could use, we could use more. More, I tell ya. Uh, more. And of, of course, if you just, uh, there's a number of ways you can get to the iTunes page. You could literally go into Google right now, type in X-Men Podcast, and I believe will be the third link that pops up that'll open it up into iTunes. Or you could just go into iTunes and type in uh, X-Men or Danger Room, and we'll, we'll come right up. Uh, you can go to redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room and see all of our podcasts as well as the little panels that we clip out from time to time to show you exactly what it is we're looking at that's making us uh, laugh so much in most cases. Uh, and you can also visit our Twitter feed at Danger Room Go. We have uh, 74, 75 likes, I guess. On our Facebook page. There's so. there's some other X-Men podcasts out there with 412, so I'm feeling a little insignificant. <laughs> Are you feeling insecure? A little bit. <laughs> we, we got the better fans, though. <laughs> oh, okay. That's another way to look at it. <laughs> All right, fans. Uh, you've waited long enough. We've waited long enough. Uh, next time you hear us, it'll be us cracking open giant-sized X-Men number one. For reals. So until next time, the danger room is closed. We're gonna bust up that stage like a high school kegger. We're just gonna out with LaFour's X-Men style. Should I call you Logan Weapon X? No, Wolverine, Snickety Snickety Snowing. What he's doing is imitating Wolverine's berserker attack with his adamantium claws. Never would have guessed. All right, guys, you have your mission. Go forth and wreak havoc.